Hey people, welcome back to series three of Not Another Sales Podcast. My name is Chris Atfield. I'm the founder and coach of Sales Psyche, a company focused on supporting and developing sales and commercial teams, mental health, well-being, and performance. This podcast aims to look at the world of sales through a different lens, providing not just the tactics, but also the mindset of what makes us successful. This series, I'm asking guests, what's one thing they suggest you try, avoid, and keep doing to be successful? whether that's as a rep, leader, or organization. So let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ross McLean, Director of Sales Training and Enablement at Sneak. Ross and I are going to be exploring all around the world of sales enablement, carrying on from last week's episodes, talking about what can be often misunderstood or outdated when it comes to sales enablement, particularly now in a new world. What is a more effective and aligned perception of sales enablement that organizations should align to, and also the salespeople within that? And also, Ross is going to be sharing one thing he'd advise sales reps to introduce, throw away, and keep for this year ahead. So sit back and enjoy. Ross, welcome. How are we doing? I'm good, thanks, Chris. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. It's good to good to see you. For people that don't know who are just tuning in, I've known Ross for quite a few years now, and um, we hadn't spoken for a while, but we used to work about four four years ago now, wasn't it? We did we did right, some yeah. work together. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, for people who are tuning in for the first time, Ross, who who aren't aware of you, it'd be great to give them some context um, as to your background, first of all. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Um, good to catch up. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I work at, at Sneak just now. So um, they're, we're a um, rapid growing um, security company, but it's security um, software for built for developers, right? So uh, so that's that's a company I come from when I was I was at Veeam before that, which is where I'm at you, Chris. And um, yeah, what I do is I'm I'm in charge of all the of, of our, our company playlist first and foremost. So all the music that we play and all of our Zoom calls in this virtual world. But uh, but yeah, I look after our enablement. So I've I've been working in sales enablement now for oh let me think I mean probably seven years, eight years at least now. Yeah, so kind of around since it's really kind of its inception, I guess. And before that, I was. Um, yeah, I started out in, in more traditional learning development roles, did, um, did some sales roles, did some change management roles, some business analyst roles, project management roles. So had a pretty varied career, but landed in this, this, this crazy world that is sales enablement, which, um, which, uh, yeah, I, I love. So yeah, that's, um, that's about me. I'm based in Glasgow up in Scotland, um, where the sun is shining, which is unusual and, and awesome. Um, but yeah, so, um, and as you can see, probably my surroundings tell you more about like my personality so i don't really need to say anything else about that so um yeah, <laughs> yeah my my other half's uh, daughter got a bass for christmas she's been learning um she's gonna play gorillas feel good on there now which is oh, nice. Nice. Good yeah. Choice. Good choice. yeah yeah but um but yeah really excited about this ross and one of the <laughs> things you mentioned there um about how long you've been involved in sales enablement almost from the inception when i was thinking about this episode i thought it'd be really good to get your take on this of i suppose you've seen that that evolution of it and maybe perhaps in some cases maybe not and i'd be interested to sort of hear from your uh, point of view of what you think is maybe misunderstood or, out, or outdated when it comes to sales enablement these days or, or how people might be looking at it in the in the wrong frame of mind really yeah sure yeah so i think yeah it's interesting i actually did that I, I do this with all of our new hires so i like i i get them to do like you do a kind of word cloud so i have this little app that they, they put they kind of say what what's your percent when you hear sales enablement what do you think right and again even to this day you know i think a lot of that is like training right that that's the that's the biggest theme that comes out um it's training right and for 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 i think for good reason um 
if, if I think back to when, you know, when I was, you know, in more traditional learning development roles and, and, in, and in those days that, you know, these roles like sales, like sales trainers existed, but there wasn't really this, this practice of sales enablement. Um, I, I think that's where it comes from, Chris, because I think what happened is once this kind of new practice was born, I think that the, the, the reason for it, I think, was that, that businesses realized that, you know, people that are quota carriers, people that in those go to market roles, um, you know, having focus and enablement, there's a lot of advantages because, you know, you, you can correlate it back to impact, right? You know, to business impact, if we can, you know, get people to be more productive, more efficient, more effective. Um, but I think also the recognition that their learning needs are, are distinctly different, right? You know, I think that there's, I think that's where this practice was kind of born from, you know, that traditional learning and development function that exists and still exists in companies and should exist and, and, and exists for good reason. Maybe it wasn't meeting the learning, specific learning needs of, of, of the sales and go-to-market team. So um, I think that's where it's born from. But I think the challenge is like, you know, like me, a lot of people transition from those kind of learning and development, more traditional roles into enablement roles. Um, and I think as much as these new practices are born, it's like, you know, people are figuring it out. And I think a lot of that became, well, you know, it's onboarding, it's training, it's still sales training. So I think there's, there's this, it's just, again, everywhere I've been, that, that that's the perception. It's like, it's training. It's something that takes us away from selling, right? And and, and that's that's always been, in my opinion, the challenge of traditional learning development for salespeople because they want to make money, right? That's why they're able to yeah. typically, typically, right? Um, and the way they make money is by spending time with customers, partners, you know, prospects and those things. And I think that's the, that's some of the scar tissue that, that, that is, or, you know, kind of left there. And I think it's up to, up to us, you know, sales enabling professionals to help redefine the function and, 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 and shape the function to, to what, what, what we truly think it should be. Right. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's my taking kind of what's misunderstood. And I think that's, that's the reason for it. So, um, and I still see that. You know, with every new hire group, um, I ask them the question, um, and then I give them my definition of, of what we're trying to do here at Sneak. So, yeah. Do you think that comes down to maybe some people trying? Obviously, when sales enablement was born, a lot of people coming from that L and D industry that maybe didn't have that sales background. Definitely. Do you feel like maybe something like that has has occurred because of that? Definitely, yeah. I think, I think that's it. that's the other challenge, right? You know, so like. You know the amount of the amount of salespeople that I've you know enabled trained throughout the years is you know the first thing they're looking for is like where's your credibility right you know more than and I think most people do that in general right if you're going to be you know go to some any kind of formal training I think that's natural but salespeople more than anyone else is like you know do you understand me and I think the challenge is you know they, they don't deal well with like you know theoretical idealistic concept mm. because they're very pragmatic and it's like well okay look you know come on to a sales call and and you know meet the variables that are my customers right so and partners and, and this kind of ecosystem that they live in so um so yeah i, th I think yeah I, I do think yeah i do think that is that is the case um I, I think that a lot of it comes from that and and i think you know a lot of people end up in sales enablement that that maybe don't have that experience um and, and not to say that that's that that's right or wrong um i think that in the enablement function there are there are roles that that you 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 want to have people that don't necessarily need to have that skill set, but I think there are there are roles and a kind of balance in your organization to to you know to have people that truly understand the challenges of selling, right? I think it's like everything, Chris. You know, if, if you haven't actually done it, it's really really difficult. You can empathize, but you know it's it's really really difficult. You know if you've not had to hit the phone and prospect like a BDR or an SDR and and have that kind of you know these kind of volume activity metrics to try and try and hit your kind of number your KPIs. 
um, or have the challenges of trying to, you know, build consensus in a large enterprise account, you know, those kind of things, it's, it can be difficult to understand the reality of that world and the challenges that come with it, uh, which can make it hard to, to, to tailor what those people need, right? So it's understanding mm. your customer, right? So, and I don't think people have to have so, but I think the more you work with salespeople, like people can get that, you can start to really get that understanding, I think. So, um, yeah, I do think sometimes that's where some of the challenges come in where people just maybe don't have that right balance of experience and it becomes difficult because the the, the learning needs, you know, and the reality of the job are just a little bit disconnected from the, from, from you know, what, what the enablement function does. And also sales managers, right? So it's about, to me, it's like, it's, you know, it's alignment there. You know, I think traditional L&D often is something that's kind of separate from performance to a degree, right? So it's kind of disconnected. I think in sales, like everyone, it's all about performance, right? That's that's the world of sales, right? Um, so it's it's how does how does enablement, you know, whether that's formal learning or in a different form, how does that connect closely with you know correlate to performance to helping me to you know to to build uh, more pipeline to you know improve my win rates, whatever those you know levers that a sales rep has that they can pull, right? Um, increase their deal sizes, right? So that's you know how do we correlate stuff back there? So you know if it's not tangible, then it it, it can be perceived as like I don't know if I see the value here, right? And that becomes a big learning barrier, I think, at times. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I think another point of enablement piece of, yeah, there might be people who don't have that experience, but I think you need to, if you don't, is that having that willingness to want to yeah. to learn and, and go out of your way and almost be proactive. So when I um, worked at my previous company, Payment Sense, we'd have people who weren't, who'd never sold in their life and they came in, would go out with the salespeople or, exactly. or go yeah. on a train and just, and just be willing to do that. So there's nothing wrong with it, but you see some people come in and think it, they're almost above it sometimes and think yeah. I've got the, I've got the qualifications, I've got the knowledge and um, people, I'll just, I'll just create something. But again, you know, the thing is like that stuff may be great and it may not change anything from you going out with them, but the fact you've been out with them and people know you've been out with them when you then produce it and talk to people about it, they're like, oh, okay, I feel like I've been listened to here and someone's related to me rather than just trying to maybe come in and, and give me something that regardless from the off, if I don't believe in you, if I don't feel like you empathize with me, I'm not going to buy into. Absolutely. I mean, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think that's, you know, I've done that pretty much everywhere I've worked. I want to, I want to figure it, I want to understand um understand the role and every company is different right you know like you know if you're you know selling different types of products you know it's, it's the markets are all different the buyers are different there's so many variables in sales um i think it's it's incredible but it's like yeah i love it it's, it's an exciting space to work in i think so mm. where do you see i suppose well-being fitting in with this with with enablement because of course you know we talking about before with like L and performance being separate but well-being is obviously a big a big thing that's you know being people driven, I suppose, at the moment, but do you see that fitting in at all from a sales enablement aspect moving forwards? Definitely. Yeah. I, th I think it's becoming more and more prevalent. I think, you know, I, I just think if you look at the world in general, you know, look at, you know, a lot of the stuff out there on social media, a lot of these movements that's, you know, raising awareness of, you know, it's, you know, it's okay not to be okay and all that stuff. I think there's just a general kind of like movement in the world, which I think is good. Um, I think in sales, you know, the, the challenges that again, it's just the way things have been, it's like, you've got to be persistent, you've got to be resilient, you know, that there's just this kind of like, but it's almost that kind of like, you know, it, it's maybe one of those fraternities that it, it's still maybe more of a stigma to kind of go, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a bit stressed out, you know, that that may not be kind of, you know, like the norm. I think there's some work to do there to to make it, just to make people feel like they can say that. Um, we, we were talking internally about this with, you know, with the people team. I, I was working with, with, with one of my colleagues, um, uh, I'm sure she won't mind me calling her out. My name's Lindsay Costello, like one of just super talented, you know, like just 
awesome. Being we worked together and and she that you know she she managed a the team there. She was um, um managing the design team at the time. And she she had this practice of like just it just blew my mind. Like you know that that she thought of this just by herself. That she it, she had this real really interesting structure of how she would conduct like her kind of one on ones. And the first thing she would start with is like you know like just well being right. That that was the first question. It was like before we get to like the the actual performance things, whether it's your projects or in, in a sales scenario, it's going to be you know how are we performing towards the number. It was you know how how are things in general right so how are you like you know because people have stuff going on right you know and, and it's important to, to ask those questions and if they're willing to share them some people are some people aren't but it's i think asking the question is really important because that's kind of almost making it their own that we should be talking about these things right and then also she talked about stress levels so you know how are you feeling at work like how you know if you look at your workload you know how how are you feeling right you know do you feel like you're you're comfortable and things are okay do you think it's manageable do you think you're you know you happen to work 14 16 hour days um, and I think that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that I would, that I think becomes really important now, right? Um, and as I say, that's something that stuck with me, you know, um, immediately when she, when she spoke about it, one of our management meetings, I was just like, this is, this is awesome, right? You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's aligning to a lot of like company core values that we all say we have, you know? Um, and I think it's just demonstrating that we live those values. And I think that's really, really important, especially in sales, because, you know, if people are, you know, have stuff going on or are feeling stressed out and overwhelmed, then it's not typically conducive to high performance. So, you know, the, you know, and, and it's, but I think it's going in with the intent of like, you know, that performance is almost secondary to those, those human things initially, because, you know, if there's work to be done there, that's going to help us to, to address those performance issues. So yeah, I, I definitely think it has a place. And I think it's, um, as I say, I think there's probably some work to be done around, you know, making that kind of not, you know, feel normal and feel like it's something we should be talking about versus we're in sales, you know, we just, we get on with it, you know, end of quarters are mental. And I think there are things like that in sales. There's just things like, you know, end of quarters are crazy. That's just the way that, that it is, but it's, you know, how do we, how do we help people manage that from a wellbeing perspective? And that's why I love the sneak as a company that we have an amazing kind of wellbeing program for the whole company. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, I think, I think that's, that's one of the best things we're working here is that the, there's, and that comes from, from Peter at the top, you know, just, you know, dr absolutely drives that message home, you know, all hands that he was talking about it, you know, it's, there's always that human aspect. And and I think, you know, we, you know, we as a company are a lot more evolved than a lot of other companies I would, that I've worked at, but, um, but I think part of that may be due to, like I say, the way the world is perceiving this and recognizing that, that these things should be addressed. So. Yeah. Well, a big thing you've said there is it's come from the top. And I think that's the big thing, isn't it? It's, it's seeing it more than just a tick box exercise or, or just focusing on it this year because everyone's working from home and then as soon as we go back to the office just thinking right everyone will be fine now we don't we don't need to focus on it i think you know the more because people say oh you can come talk to me and you know if you've got a, if something's going on but if leaders aren't doing it or being open about it then people are like is this a trap am i do you really like want to know or is that going to impact maybe you know some people have been let go recently or if i'm not performing in my numbers are you going to then think i'm not i'm not good enough because of what i shared with you and and um, I think if leaders can start, and I've had some some great people coming on here talking about how they've been very open with their teams and 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 not afraid to sometimes say, look, you know, I'm having a bit of a tough day here um, to sort of start off a meeting because then everyone else, I had um, a, a couple of individuals who came on, they said every time they have a team meeting at the moment, they'll ask, they'll go around and go, what are you leaving at the door? So like this, the most senior person in the room will often start and talk about like what's something that's playing on your mind that might be impacting you and just go around. And it's a good way just to, to talk about those things and kind of get it off your chest and being led by the, the almost like leaders in the room as well. Definitely. I think, 
I think to me it comes down to like I'm, I'm, again our people team like done an amazing job. They do some like amazing sessions internally in this stuff. We had like at, at all hands we had our like employees leading some of these sessions like around how they manage their stress. Like it was it was just awesome. Like the best the best virtual event I've ever been to. It was amazing. Um, but I think it's, it's it's just that that kind of value of like being being vulnerable, right? I think and you say if you know if, if leader you know you say look I'm happy to be and it's and it is hard, right? It's easy to say be vulnerable, but it is yeah uncomfortable right from for i don't know anyone that maybe isn't uncomfortable but you know it makes me feel uncomfortable but but the it's so empowering right i think and i think that's what comes from the time and and you know like we have that from the top you know that they 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 live that and and they they make that okay i think that just becomes transformational i think that's where it starts right i think Mm. that's the foundation that, that if that's not in place it's very hard even though you want to do these things it can be very difficult to 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 actually make it make it you know Kind of operationalize and make it part of your dna so yeah 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 i was going to ask you um what you do to take care of your well-being but i'm guessing from behind you it's probably pretty <laughs> evident if people are just listening to this as a yeah. kind of record and instrument so yeah what what do you do aside the assumption of that um yeah i mean that music's a big like you know for me that like it's just been my whole life like music's like an escape it it resets my mind it you know it kind of opens dimensions of my brain that are maybe you know like you know when you're again there's this there's the zoom fatigue now which is different than what we had before um but yeah i think so things like that you know getting out you know i change the scenery for me is like something that, that i find just just like as a as a physical thing really helps um so you know like you just changing the room and working in something just you know going to a different place um yeah i think that's 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 something else that i do but um yeah um Sorry, I think I've lost your user there. Yeah, yeah, still yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sorry we came up with a with a Mac update. Mike, my Mac wants to update. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, you know, I think music for me is huge. I think you know, I've, I've got young kids, so like, I find them like you know, like just taking like you know, whether it's at lunchtime or you know, I take period periodic times in the day, you know, to go and engage and play with them. Like that's like the best kind of like thing for my well being because like you know, a it makes me like really super happy to hang out with them but also like just the way that they view the world and the, you know it, it's like i'm not you know i just I, I i'm deliberately like don't take my phones or anything it's like you know just be in the moment with them um and that is phenomenal for me for my well-being because you're just like you know you're, you're almost like thinking like a kid for an hour and um you know you see that their joy and happiness and tantrums and all the stuff that comes with having young kids is you know it's um yeah i i find that that for me is like is is super helpful um especially being you know being stuck at home at the moment in this weird world that we're in um yeah and i think the other thing i'd say is just taking time to find you know i, I try and take time every week just to try and like get out of the the work and, and try and expand my mind right to so try and you know whether that's you know i have you know some standing one-to-ones with, with kind of my wider network um virtual coffees i use a lot as well so you know these kind of like you know conversations that would organically happen in the office which make, to me would always increase my feeling of well-being and sense of community and you know being part of a team um it's really difficult now because you know they just don't happen organically because we're not physically in offices so i don't go and get a cup of tea in the office typically i'll be hey hey chris you know and, we, and those things happen organically um so it's just being a bit more deliberate and setting time aside every week to to have those informal deliberately informal conversations with different people in the company um just you know again you know get just makes you feel like you're part of something you know um when we can't be together so that's that that's the things i've done and i've I've learned by these you know mistakes when i started working remotely i i didn't do any of these things very well and i really struggled like for the first six months it was it was tough really really tough i just didn't have the 
structure in place. I didn't have the 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 barrier between you know outside of work life and work life. It was it was extremely blurred. Um, mm. Yeah, I, and, and again, I struggled to feel part of something. Like I really found that I genuinely found that difficult. Um, and I was you know pretty unmotivated to be honest throughout all that time. It was hard to get more. I really found it hard to motivate myself at times. So um, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's we've had to create a whole new set of routines and habits. That's the thing, isn't it? Like we've yeah. just been so conditioned our life to whether it's school, college, university, and then work to get out, do this, go there. And now it's like we're almost just none of that is happening. And our brains are like, what do we do? So it's yeah. almost when we first started, that's why it was hard. And I think that this is where things like Zoom fatigue come from is because your brain is constantly having to be on all day now. It can't just go through, you know, your commute. You could switch off for a bit yeah, yeah. for lunchtime. You can go. But here, like you're just constantly on. You're constantly thinking what happens next because I'm not used to it. Um, and it's tiring. And I think, you know, music for me is a big thing as well. Um, it's amazing, like how much, you know, I talk a lot about to change your story, you've got to change your state. Um, and you, when you have those negative head spaces, it's like you need to do something to kind of switch it up. And music is just so powerful, isn't it? Like it's oh. great because it can just take you back to a nostalgic time and it can just bring back that emotion immediately to to make you feel good. So I kind of have like a in case of emergency break here, like music playlist where I'm like, I know if I put one of those on. It's going to switch my state up. I mean, that's a Billy Ocean. If I play any Billy Ocean song, then I, I'm immediately happy. Immediately. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, what has gone on in my life. But yeah, so um, that, that's what it is for me. So, uh, yeah, easy fix. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we've talked about, as, as part of this, what we are just talking about there is this kind of like evolution and what's been going on. If you were looking at it and if you had some advice, there might be something you've shared internally, but for, for reps listening to this this year, What's and we'll go through one of these one by one. But what's one thing that you introduce? The one thing you'd encourage trying? One thing to throw away, maybe not do so much, and one thing to keep that maybe we we sort of built from last year. So let's start. Where do you want to start? Which ones? Which I don't ones blame me. You? you know, I'm totally wingless and just see what comes into my head. <laughs> it's, yeah, really, really interesting. I think so. I mean, I guess the introduce and throw away might be kind of related, right? So it's kind of something that I. That I see, you know, a lot of reps do, um, and and maybe just you know understanding how how buying has changed is really really important. Um, so so I guess it kind of goes. So I can cover those two kind of hand in hand. So I mean the the the, the thing that I see that that I think is 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 not as impactful as it used to be, and kind of as a kind of a sales approach is this idea that. Um, you know, I'm going to go and like, I've got my value proposition that, okay, that I, I'm selling this product, the set of products or whatever the situation is. So, um, I've got this value proposition and I am, you know, I'm going to, there's my neighbor, it's just driving away. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get on the phone. I'm going to try and get on the phone with potential prospects or customers. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lead with this value proposition. And, and as soon as they say something, you know, that they'll say something that resonates, you know, they'll say some word that I know, oh, that means there's potentially an opportunity. And then it's this kind of rush forward, right? So it's the excitement. Um, the other mistake that I see a lot is, is this idea, you know, that what we've done as salespeople is we've taught customers the things to tell us to get us excited about an opportunity via ban, medic, med pick. I mean, there's, there's loads, you know, um, of, of these kind of um, qualification criteria that we use. So by by really laser focusing on budget, you know, authority, time frame, those things, um, we've taught customers the things to say to get as excited as salespeople, right? Even if they're not serious about buying from us, because the reality is sometimes they, they need they need to evaluate more than one vendor, right? So it's, it's very rare they'll just evaluate one vendor. That's just very rare now in this modern world. Um, so like, I, I see a lot of 
a lot of that kind of behavior and the this kind of idea of like rushing forward and not really having the what I call like the foundations of the deal like like kind of set right I think that's where you end up downstream you encounter a lot of problems because the challenge is you learn the bad news really really late and when you mm -hmm. learn that bad news late it's really really hard and what happens is everyone's scrambling right um and and that's you know that that costs your company because you've made every opportunity you go after there's an investment from your company um from a resource perspective um so I think that's that's something that I see that almost like you know you know that that approach and just having those like you know it is you get those kind of happy years like they said the right things is not always conducive to to you know to to building that relationship and, and and being in the you know being in the in the in the best spot and the opportunity that you can be right um, so I think that's you know that's something that I see a lot that I think that that a lot of reps just make the mistake and it's not out of like bad it's just out of like you know as rep as salespeople typically we're, we're enthusiastic we're you know positive and we're excited and you're know, excitable people and we want to move things forward we want that to feel that momentum um but you know I think that the the challenge is, is sometimes rushing forward and ends up ends up costing us in the long run right so I think it's it's that kind of slowing down to speed up right and and then I get the thing I'll come to introduce now is like how do we what's the alternative like how do we how do we shift that focus and I think Part of that's around understanding if, you know, looking at a lot of the, like a lot of Gartner's research that they do through what used to be CEB. Um, and, and this is, you know, this is in, you know, in the IT space, but I think it's pretty widely applicable is that, you know, what's happened now is if you think about buying, like the amount of, like the amount of content, like high quality content that every, every business that's trying to sell something creates and puts out onto the internet is, is overwhelming. For people right for as a buyer um and what happens is and what this research has found is that what, what happens is that and in hip, if you think, and look at how buying's changed as well the other thing that's changed is so there's this this increase of information that's out there right so i have to make sense of that and i i liken it to like you know buying anything on amazon like if i see a couple of bad reviews it's enough just to decrease my confidence in my own decision to just to go save for later or i'll just wait and see what laptop comes out in three months because I, I just am not confident enough in my own decision, right? So I think that's, you know, that, that there's these kind of two meters that are going, like the confidence in my own decision that enables me to feel confident enough to move forward in my buying process. And the second kind of thing that's going here is the, is the, is the, my skepticism, my skepticism of salespeople, right? So that's the other thing. So in an ideal world, as a ref, you think about it, you want to help to increase their confidence in their own decision whilst reducing their skepticism as you as a salesperson, because yeah, yeah as a salespeople, um, you know, who's, I don't know who's, if anyone's mother or father had a, had them in their arms saying, oh, Chris, I really hope you become a salesperson. That's my favorite. <laughs> I'd be so proud. I tell all my friends, um, because of, because of the stigma, right? The stigmas that exist for valid reasons, because of the way that people have been sold to. It's that reptilian part of the brain. It remembers that time that bad thing happened and that salesperson overstated the solution. Or, you know, I ended up, you know, going into Tesco to buy bread and ended up with a TV and you're like, I don't need it. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Right? So these bad things that happen, they leave scar tissue in our brains, right? So we can, um, so yeah, so I think that's the kind of, the, 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 the kind of psychotic, the things you're trying to do, right? So, and how, how do we do that? Well, I think the first part is, is this now idea of like, in those initial stages of those foundational setting things, it's it, instead of talking, like going with this kind of, I want to tell you the value of my product. It's more about, and this first part is like, people know this, right? But it's you're trying to understand their perceived, what they believe they need, right? So because the reality is their um, their need for you as a salesperson that has decreased massively because they can go and self-educate, right? Like never before. Mm -hmm. The challenge that comes with that, which is interesting is, and this has been validated by this research, that what buyers are seeing is 
the, the amount of high quality information is overwhelming. And that's not conducive to being confident in that's the right thing to buy, right? So the first role of a, of a rep now becomes, how do I become like the, a sense maker? How do I help them make sense of all of that information they're seeing? So I actually take a step back from, I wanna talk about the thing that I sell, to kind of just understand and say, look, you know, if you're looking to do something in whether it's security space or, you know, it could be, you know, data centers, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, you know, you're selling cars. It's like, well, what is it that you're, what's important to you, right? Because there's typically in each market, vendors offer different ways of doing things. And it's understanding your market well enough to be able to talk about that intelligently to help them see through to say, well, for, let's just, before you even look at like what which thing, we need to understand what it is exactly you're trying to do so we can say, you know, the different ways of going about this, right? So you're trying to help them make sense of all that information so they can become confident, know, okay, this is the right approach. And if the right approach is the thing that you sell, then you know you have a, a potential opportunity, right? But you've helped them figure that out, right? And that, the reason that that's impactful is it increases their confidence in their own decision because you're helping them make sense of the information. And also you're not behaving like a typical salesperson because you're happy to say that, you know, you're not talking what I sell, I'm trying to help you make sense of that. So I'm, it's all about enable, enabling buying, right? So it's how do I help to enable buying? Um, yeah. I, I think that that approach, um, and it has been validated by this research, is hugely powerful. Now, it's not to say that that's right for every single customer or prospect, because sometimes people just, they know what they want, right? Some people are those kind of like, you know, they're, they're, they're the visionaries in the market and they know what they want. They can self-educate and say, I know this is the right thing. Their, their confidence is high enough. And they, you know, that's more of like, they'll just tell you what they want and you would, you know, align with them and, and it's it's a much easier sale. Um, but the confidence thing is important when you think about it because in a personal sense, that Amazon example, that happens to me in my personal life. But then if I take a business example, so I was evaluating some systems at the end of last year, um, there were times through that buying process where my confidence in that being the right thing was not high enough for me to take that to my boss. Because that's the reality in a, in, a, in a business sense. That's what you're getting people to do, to build consensus internally. And if, if their confidence isn't high enough, that's one of the main inhibitors to, to, to them not buying. And often it's no decision. It doesn't mean they're buying something else. They just, they just exit yeah. their buying process completely. So I think it's just, you know, maybe salespeople just trying to, Think about this idea of becoming, you know, having that skill to be able to be a sense maker when you when you come across a customer who's clearly not confident enough because they're they've read that you know conflicting a lot of the information that vendors put out is conflicting. How do they know what to believe, right? So, mm. um, so our your role as a seller becomes understanding where they are in their buying cycle, but more importantly, what buying job are they trying to accomplish? Now that could be building consensus internally. It could simply be like solution exploration, I just need to get confident enough to understand what the right solutions are, right? So if you understand and Gartner have done a good job of kind of articulating these are the buying jobs, then it's how do I, my focus as a rep is how do I help them to accomplish that, right? Um, so consensus building is about empowering them often to go and sell on your behalf, right? So how do you mm -hmm. empower them with content, with thought leadership, you know, with a story, right? So I think that's the, yeah, the long-winded answer that you, yeah, you know what I'm like. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Aligns actually. We were talking uh, about this this week. Aligns a lot to neuroselling and, and neuroscience in that uh, it's been proved. People think that B two C is more of an emotional buying journey, but it's actually B two B. Yeah. Um, because and I heard someone say this, and it's great, is that in B two C you're avoid you're trying to avoid regret, but in B two B you're trying to avoid blame. Exactly. Like if you go and buy a bad pair of, tra a pair of trainers and not great, you you regret it. But yeah. if you go and bring a system in and it doesn't work, you're everyone you're going to be thinking everyone's going to be looking at me and saying 
oh, it's a bad job. Like you did, you did something wrong here. Um, you know, that's why I think they were using an example when you're, when you're, for example, going to do an audit, you get PwC in because if they mess it up, it's PwC's fault. But if you bring in a company unknown, it's, it's your fault because you should have, you should have, you should have worked on that. And I think it's, it's such an important point you mentioned there that we're so focused sometimes salespeople of building up and thinking, yeah, look, let's make them confident in what we do. But you're completely ignoring their own self-confidence of, of whether they, they have enough. And I think the first step is providing those insights, is helping them make sense of that industry and almost not even just providing them with your own insights, but being able to familiarize yourself with the kind of things that sit alone. So, for example, like Gartner and and these other kind of resources, so they don't just feel like you're sending them a report that your company's produced, that, of course, you're going to send all, say all this information because you want them to buy. Yeah, um, It's about familiarizing yourself and, and almost repositioning it um to to rather than like a discovery call first of all sometimes it's almost like i let me share with you some insights and help you make sense before i go in and find out if you're even the right fit or if we're the right fit for you yeah yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah and then was the keep so keep something to keep that's an interesting one um i think like just that i still think sales process is so important and by process i mean that it's the stuff that's not like it's not the stuff that you probably enjoy the most about the job. It's the it's the um, professionalism and your follow up and providing the summaries of conversations. Like, I think there's the people always want like a lot of like, most sales reps I've ever spoken to. They just want like just I just need to know how the product differentiates. I just want to you know I'm gonna you know focus on differentiators. Which again I don't think that's effective. It's about it's only a differentiator if it's important to them, right? So this is this is important. But I think for for, for the other piece where you differentiate yourself, which we've a lot of reps miss, is, is how you sell, right? So again, think of the sense-making approach and breaking that stereotype. Um, and, and I think the thing is, it's not about like, you know, you have to believe in this, right? I think you've got to, you know, commit to it and say, this is this is how, this is the kind of salesperson I want to be, right? Uh, but then it's the, how, you know, how do you, I think if you think about like, if you're speaking to a prospect and they're going through their buying process, um, it's like an audition. Right. So I think that's you got to think of it. It's an audition, not just for you, but the company, right? To say, because the other part, like, do you say that business risk is not only like, what if I buy the wrong system, but what happens that like, they know that things might not always be perfect implementations that can be bumps in the road. I just want to know that like you, every rep will say, we want to be a strategic partner. I want to be your trusted advisor. But it's like, well, that's everyone can say that, but you need to demonstrate that through the sales process before they buy. Right. So, mm -hmm. I think, and that's where sales process, those follow-ups, um, become really, really important, right? So the professionalism of your follow-ups um, and, and the way that you facilitate and hold those meetings and, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of quarterbacking all of that, um, you know, and, and bringing in the resources at the right times, you're, you're showcasing your ability to do that in your partnership. Um, your reactiveness to issues in the sales cycle as well as, as a demonstration of how that might be after they buy. So I think that's, that's hugely important. Um, but also in those follow-ups, you know, if, if they're really well written and structured, they become, you know, it's an email that they can forward and that helps them build consensus. So, you know, th there's, there's multi-purpose for these things. And I think it's not, it is the bit that you're kind of like, oh, I, I have to take time to write the email and carve it out. And, and it's maybe not the most exciting thing. My advice is that's when I put on some music, right? In the background and, I'll, and book that time after, after the meeting to do it when it's fresh in your head. Right. Um, but I think this is where, you know, some of these you know, call intelligence platforms come in and help where they can, you know, you can, it can help you to, to be more efficient in doing that. Because I know it's like, I, I don't want to spend you know, my whole day doing that. I want to be speaking to people. So but I think it, it does help differentiate you by the way you sell versus just your product. Yeah. It, it gives them an experience, doesn't it? And to what yeah. you were talking about before with so much out there, 
so much of people saying everything. It's like, what can you do that's going to differentiate yourself and that kind of experience going through it? Whereas if they think, oh, this is a bit, this is getting a bit tough and, and you know, you've been passed from different people and they don't know, like if you've just had an SDR and then an AE and they're not joined up, even that can make people feel like, well, hang on, like, is this how you're going to treat me when I'm a customer? Exactly. Um, and, and turn people off so massively, massively. Well, Ross, thank you so much for, for coming on today. It's been a, a real pleasure having you. Listen, it's a ple- always a pleasure, Chris. If you're yep, happy to come on whenever you want, always happy to, to talk sales and even when music, you know, Billy Ocean, whatever, you know what I mean? I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> just, um, yeah, just let me know. Great, great. And for the listeners, um, if they want to find out a bit more about what you were talking about and sneak, where's, where's the best place um, to go? Um, so yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're, we, you can go to our website, we're on LinkedIn, you know, feel free, you know, I, I'm on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to, you know, talk, I'm always, I'm always happy to extend my network and, you know, great to get different perspectives. So yeah, so just, yeah, feel free to, to hit us up there. Um, and there's a, there's a life at sneak, um, um, Instagram page. If you want to find out what, what working at sneak is like, um, I'm actually running that today. So I'm in, yeah, I've been put in charge. I don't know who made that decision. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it should be interesting. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you can check us out on there as well. Great. Well, thanks again, Ross. And for listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'll catch you again soon. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in. If you want more of this content, then head over to our website, salespsyche.co.uk. Psyche is P-S-Y-C-H-E. And sign up for our self-talk newsletter. Plus, we also run another podcast, Master Brilliance and Resilience. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. But for now, stay mindful. Catch you soon.